podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Spectacular form, thank you. How are you? I'm tremendous on this Monday. Absolutely tremendous. It's a, a decent weather day, so that's nice. It's better than the rain that we've had here in rural Ireland for the last two months. But, you know, so I'll take anything I can get. Um... I suppose we should start, Carl, by discussing the big news that came out on Friday. Mohamed Salah has signed a new contract and committed his future to Liverpool. What are your thoughts on the Salah contract? I think it's a positive for Liverpool. Is that a surprise? Um, that great news, obviously. It's something we've been hoping would be sorted out sooner rather than later. Um, I, I, to be honest, I've said a few times, I didn't have any doubts really that Salah would eventually sign even if it took quite a long time to get it done. I just don't think that there are as many clubs out there which would suit him the way that Liverpool do. And I'm, I'm sure that he knows it. And I'm sure the club made it pretty clear to him. It was always going to be a matter of trying to showcase the fact that he is worthy of one of the biggest contracts, or the biggest contracts in our history, one of the biggest ones in uh, in the Premier League and even on the world stage, if you like, because he is worth it. He's shown that he's worth it. He's shown that he can be, in periods, the best player in the world, certainly in his position. And mm. I think it is important to recognise that. And I um, I would also say it's important for us to stick to certain of our principles, let's say, our, our guiding way of you know, scheduling these contracts up so that if the players perform really well, they do benefit more from it. But they have to play really well to get the full benefit of it. So I think... If everything has is, is gone in line with that, it's perfectly reasonable to raise the the, uh, the overall amount that you pay because mm. he has earned it. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we renewed everybody like Virgil and Trent and Robbo and all the rest of them beforehand. No, neither do I. But I, I don't buy into the idea that other players will have looked at Mo's number and been jealous in any way. I think they'll all recognise that he deserves it. I think what it does is it sends a very clear message to the likes of Trent and Darwin and Carvalho and Elliot and Jude Bellingham if he arrives that you may not start off your Liverpool career on that elite level money, but if you perform at a world-class level, you can absolutely get to that elite level of money. A lot of people talked about blowing up the wage structure, and this deal was never going to do that. All it was ever going to do was raise the wage ceiling. The structure remains the same. Players arrive in band A, perform well, move into band B, continue to perform, go into band C, and I think Virgil probably tops out band C on about 250 grand a week, 
and now they've created an next band that elite level and it's largely going to be for attackers type of money which Salah now gets I think it's a very positive move for the club and like I say it sends a message to Trent and Darwin who are you know on that 140 100 to 160 grand a week type money that if you continue to perform your next step could be Virgil level money 250 but then you can still go further than that if you continue to perform and the same thing to Jude Bellingham, we're not going to give you 300 grand a week to come here, but we'll give you 150 on a five year deal. And if you perform really well, then after three years, there's no reason we can't bump that to 200 grand a week. And if you continue to perform, you go to 250. And if you continue to perform and you're becoming one or you are one of the best players in the world in your position, then potentially you could earn three, 350. So it does, I think, make us a more attractive proposition to players as well and to players who are at the club already and looking at their long-term future and thinking, well, can I secure that type of money here? And the answer is now yes. So all of it's positive, and obviously the biggest positive is getting to keep Mo, who's one of the very best players on the planet, just swept the board for the major awards last season in the Premier League. Player of the Year, Football Writers Player of the Year, Golden Boot, and, of course, the uh, Chief Assister in the league as well. So, you know, the guy's been rewarded for an incredible campaign. Hopefully, it sees him come back with a new spring in a step next season and tear the league apart. And obviously, he gets a full preseason. Then he gets the first part of the season. Then he gets another kind of mid-season preseason, if you want. And then he can have a run at the second half of the season. And we could see him put together a fairly historic campaign with that lovely break coming in the middle of the season, as opposed to last year when he had to go to AFCON, or last season, rather, where he had to go to AFCON and get run into the ground for a month. This time he's going to get a month to recharge his batteries. Yeah, and quite aside from the physical thing, I think the the mental aspect of you know, losing in the final and the way that it was and all the rest of it was was another thing which took a big toll on Salah. And I think that's, again, it might be a little bit, you know, disappointing when the World Cup's on, but he's not going to have any kind of mental new disappointment, let's say. Uh, you know, if, I don't know, Egypt go out in the last minute of a game or something like that. And again, it's really disheartening and difficult to take and all the rest of it. None of that will apply. It should just be, you know, a bit of a reset, a refresh and an opportunity, like you say, to put together, hopefully, two halves of a very, very good season indeed. Exactly. Now, we have a question in Discord that is somewhat more related in terms of the potential of a system shift or a shape shift for next season. So it comes from James. He says, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about us potentially switching to 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 with a two-man midfield next season. What I was wondering is how that would work with our current system of the fullbacks pushing so far up. I know it doesn't always happen, but one of the premises of our setups is that the wide eights cover for the fullbacks when they push up. How would that work in a 4-2-3-1, for example, without limiting Trent and Robbo's creativity? How would the sixes do the same job without leaving the middle exposed? So if we look at this past season, we look at that right-sided number eight role, which is the one that would change. This past season, that role was largely... a. 10 right wing role when Henderson played it he was playing as a 10 
or wide on the right. When Elliot played it, he largely played wide on the right. When Nabi played it, he largely played it as a 10. Trent is no longer getting as high and wide on the right. He's almost tucking into a right-sided eight role. And his playmaking comes from that sort of area. I don't think 4-2-3-1 affects that. I don't think 4-4-2 affects that. I think he can still do that role. And if it's a 4-4-2, whoever's on that right wing can play a bit narrower. If it's a 4-2-3-1, depending on who that right winger is, and it could well be Mo, I think it just functions similar to what we saw last season. I mean, I I think that if we do go to a double pivot midfield, I think it will come with another alteration as well, because a lot of this will depend on how they want to use Trent, because we've seen it's not so much the midfield which changes to get more out of itself. It's been over the last, I'd say, three, four years, the midfield changes to allow for how a couple of other players or other positions are going to uh, be developed and be evolved I suppose I mean when when we played with the diamond for a little while and then you saw how the midfield was a little bit narrow at times so that the the fullbacks and wingbacks could really push on out wide but last season it was much more about getting Trent into those sort of central areas at times and playing from that sort of eight role almost if you like at times it wasn't so much on the overlap so again if you're trying to get Trent into that similar central sort of zone not right in the middle of the pitch but the right channel let's say you probably don't want the two, the double pivots, two centre mids sat there next to him, really. You need one of them to be a bit more dynamic, either on a little bit of a wider overlap, or one of them is allowed to push into the 10 zone and one of them sits alongside Trent, or maybe it's just going to be the, you know, the Fabinho, whoever it is, is the one who's always covering and Trent is actually allowed to be a bit more attack minded. You know, it's a big tactical evolution to go. Uh, Trent goes from right back into centre mid and then when we're sort of trying to attack, he actually pushes on into the 10 and the right-sided midfielder will cover him at right back, all that kind of thing. It can be done because obviously we have great players and great coaches and all the rest of it, but that's a big step. So I do think that it's going to depend on how we use Trent, where Mo is going to play. If we go to a four attack, let's say, one way or another, whichever way you want to describe the lineup, 2-3-1 or 4-4-1-1, it can still be very, very fluid with those attackers. And I think that that's more that's more the point of what those central midfielders will be asked to do. Because you you have to remember that Liverpool's Liverpool's play and the way we dominate matches is not so much necessarily how we recycle the ball and how we play the ball from one side of the pitch to the other. It's where those midfielders and the -the off-the-ball players are defensively. Mm. We have that little net, which is always around the outside of the penalty area, which is why teams get hemmed in so much. It's not the fact that they can't, uh, defend or they can't play or anything like that. It's the fact that there's nowhere for them to go. They can either go long when we get it with the centre-backs or they can try and play out and we have this line of three which is always like slightly curved around one side of the penalty area or the other side and there's one of your centre-mids that be like last season was a Mane or a, uh, a Luis obviously. It's very, very difficult to play out through that when they're so aggressive and so up-tempo. So how the double pivot plays in that role will determine, obviously, where Trent goes and where Salah goes and the rest of it. But in turn, how we want Salah and Trent and the rest of them to attack will depend on how that six covers in the right-back zone or doesn't. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be Trent playing a little bit deeper again this time and trying to you know, dictate from even more space but even deeper. I don't necessarily think that'd be the best because maybe you lose the crossing angles and so on. But 
there's loads and loads of different ways to play with your fullbacks. You know, we can have very, very tilted ones where Trent is quarterback and almost from deep and Andy Robbo is like really, really, really high and wide. And then you've sort of got a, a bit of an asymmetric attack going on from the other side, which maybe leads more space for Salah to attack centrally and all the other knock-on things that come with it. It's a really, really difficult question to answer without actually having some knowledge of how at least two of those players, namely Trent and Salah, are going to be asked to play next season. Yeah, I think this past season we did see Mo take on more of that right-sided creativity and Trent obviously playing that bit deeper. And at times, especially when Naby played in that third midfield role, when it was the the NFT midfield, and Naby basically played it as a 10, the midfield was almost an asymmetrical diamond with Fab dropping Trent on the right, Thiago on the left, and Naby as that sort of floating 10. Virgil and Ibu was the best pairing for this because they have that recovery pace to drop that bit wider. So you split your centre-backs and Fab sort of hovers in between them, not directly between them, but, you know, 10 yards in front. And that way, Andy Robertson is free to provide all the width down one side. Diaz could play a narrow left wing with Sadio, almost again as an asymmetrical front two where one is central and one is just tucked on the on the left-hand side. And then Mo had basically the entire right flank to himself. And he could play narrow, he could play wide, he could start narrow and drift wide, he could start wide and drift centrally. I think it will be, uh, it's not going to be a, a thing that you look at and think, oh, look look at the symmetry here. Look, look at our right wing or on our left wing mirroring positions. I think there's going to be very specific roles for, each position where they're asked to do very different things to their counterpart on the other side, Robbo and Trent and the two wingers. The question for me would be, do we go for, if we do change it, and like last season, for the vast majority of the season, Thiago and Fab were acting as a double pivot. So if that remains, the question then is, is that third midfielder, quote unquote, is he going to be someone that plays as a right winger, is he a right-sided midfielder who plays tucked in and works out right? The way, if we think back to Klopp's first season in charge, we played a 4-2-3-1 of sorts, but Milner played sort of a narrow right side of midfield and worked from there out to provide width, similar to what Kuba used to do when he played as the right winger in Klopp's Dortmund team. He wouldn't start wide, he'd start centrally, and work from there out. So it could be that, or it could be a 10 in a 4-2-3-1 with Mo playing wide on the right. Now, I don't know whether you get as much from Mo wide in a 4-2-3-1. I think you get more from him narrow as the second striker in a 4-4-2. But, not to put pressure on the lad, given how exceptionally talented uh, Fabio Carvalho is, given Bobby came to us as a 10, given Curtis's natural position is as a 10, given Naby can play as a 10, and given Harvey Elliott's preferred position is probably as a 10, it might make more sense to go 4-2-3-1 with that collection of players battling out for that number 10 position. Diaz on the left, Mo on the right, Darwin's through the middle, Fab and Thiago, and then the back four being the back four. So 
we have four options who could very comfortably fit as the 10. Now, there'd, there'd be varying levels, obviously, to what they can give us. We don't have a natural right winger if Trent move, or if Mo moves central, bar Harvey Elliott, but it's still an option. And we don't have anyone who can play that, that Kuba role. There's no one in, at the club who can play that to a high standard, who can play a narrow right side and work out to the right wing and provide quality in that position. And Naby, like I said, could also play the 10. I think I think I did include him. Um, so 4-2-3-1 is probably the easier transition for us because we have the options there. But I do think 4-4-2 would get more out of Mo, out of Mo, which might be the most important thing here. It would just be a matter of finding who that player is to play that right-sided role. Now, I think Jude Bellingham could play that role and excel in it. Um, we've seen in the past players like Coke, and I said this to you before, I wonder if we do something like um, Atletico did with Coke playing a narrow right side, but having that ability to drift wide and deliver quality from that area. And then Diaz playing a high and wide left. So it's almost like a three-man midfield still, but shifted. And then that right, that left winger playing high and wide on that left-hand side. Yeah, there's so many variations that we can do if we are changing because we've got a really, really unusually versatile group of players in that middle and final third of the pitch. So many of them have played like at least three roles for us already. And Carvalho coming in, there's another one who could probably do the same. So it's very, very difficult to guess at this stage. I and mean, we haven't even seen in pre-season. And sometimes in pre-season, what we see is not what we end up seeing during the course of the campaign anyway. Um, I mean, we've got the players to, again, go on and play a diamond, to be perfectly honest. And would probably get the best out of people like Mo and Darwin playing in the two up front, who you use at the tip of the diamond. Then you've just listed a whole um, clutch of players who can play there. And Diaz, obviously, is another one who can, who can come in and play very, very different roles. We've seen him play as number nine as well. So exactly. I really and, and like Mo could anything. play as the 10 in a diamond. He could, uh, other it than... Wouldn't think, ideal. No, it wouldn't no, be it wouldn't, ideal. No, no, but he could definitely play there. I could almost see Darwin playing that more than Mo, to be perfectly honest, in the way that we, we use it in terms of the ball carrying and the ferocity that he has. But again, Diaz for that role, I could see playing, no question, at least mm. game to game, maybe not every single week. But like I say, at the minute, it's, it's so, so varied, the options that we have, even without adding anybody else. And if we do, then maybe that's you know the, the final piece of the puzzle but even in a 4-4-2 I agree that it's not maybe the most natural switch for us with quite a narrow uh, wide players but even all the ones that you listed as a 10 I think playing in from that side into the 10 zone would be perfectly fine doing it all of Jones and Elliot and all the rest of them not hugely pacey but when you're not playing as a winger let's say coming in from that side to basically a little bit deeper than where Mo has been doing over the last 12 months and even him to do the channel and through the middle it's not the worst in the world. No, it's not. I mean, look, this will all become much clearer when we sign Jude Bellingham in a few weeks and complete our summer business. Uh, did I say that out loud? Um, <laughs> we have signed three players. We've signed Fabio Carvalho, which we should all be excited about. We've signed Calvin Ramsey. I think he's worth getting excited about. I know he's a right back. and You wouldn't normally get overly excited about a right back, but I do think he's got the potential to be very, very good. 
And he might be someone that long-term they look at and as, as someone that could play that right-sided midfield role in a 4-4-2, like that narrow right, where him and Trent could basically swap positions throughout the game. I've said to you before, I would love if we could find a way to somehow get Reese James out of Chelsea. Reese James in that narrow right-sided midfield role in a 4-4-2 would be spectacular because him and Trent combining then that right, both being able to play in midfield or at right back, both having world-class delivery would be absolutely spectacular. And if, not to put pressure on the lad, but if Calvin Ramsey develops the way the club hope he develops and the way people who've seen him from for Aberdeen think he'll develop, maybe that's something that we look at, not anytime soon, but four or five years down the line, that could become a really strong option for us with whatever, because we don't know what the team will look like at that point. Like Fab will be replaced, Thiago will be replaced at that point. So we could have more dynamic players in midfield than what we have now. The two we have now are more, as Brendan Rodgers would call them, technicians. There could be two more dynamic players in there. It could be a central midfield pairing of Jude Bellingham and Quadio Kone or something like that, like two really dynamic box-to-box players with that narrow right side and a high high left left winger. Um, you get carried away now. Ah, look, might as well. Let's go through the Premier League and have a look at the deals that have been completed so far. You've obviously been away on holiday, so you didn't get to comment on some of these. So I'm curious on your opinion on a, on a few of these. So we'll, we'll run through the league. A couple of clubs have done nothing, but some clubs are doing quite a bit. Arsenal have signed Marquinhos from Sao Paulo, young Brazilian winger. Fabio Vieira from Porto, which confused me a little bit because, well, you already have Odegaard. I'm not sure why you're spending $30 million on an Odegaard backup when you've got massive holes elsewhere. Uh, Matt Turner from New England Revolution, who you'll know more than me. And Gabriel Jesus from Manchester City for $45 million, who is a fine player. But, Carl, this is the club that spent six months trying to get Vlahovic, then tried to get Darwin, then tried to get a Simeon. He's a very different profile of number nine to the types of number nines they were trying to sign. So that signing confuses me a little bit if he's to be their, their striker. What's your thoughts on Arsenal's business so far? Are you suggesting that Arsenal do not necessarily have a coherent strategy in place? Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm going to double down on that by suggesting that their reported target, if they miss out on Lisandro Martinez, is Nicolas Tagliafico, who couldn't play centre-back in a fit and is a much different profile of left-back, which would be the secondary position there for Martinez, than Martinez himself is, and a very different profile to what Kieran Tierney is. They don't seem to have any sort of coherent plan, but... What's your thoughts on the two boys they've got, on the, the three lads they've signed? Leave Marquinhos said if you haven't seen him. I, I haven't seen him either, so I have no idea. But thoughts on Turner, Vieira, and Jesus, and the potential addition of Lisandro Martinez. Okay, so um, really quickly on Turner, I've not seen huge amounts of him, to be fair, but I, I've seen enough to know the style of goalkeeper he is, and that's the, the very... Um, reflex agility based ones you know he's a shot stopper he's a decent shot stopper he's, he's handling is, is pretty good um 
things that I would generally say are routine standard stuff for a goalkeeper. You know, if your handling's not very good, you're not really a goalkeeper, are you? Let's be honest. So um, I don't think he's of uh, actually of the level to challenge for first choice. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be someone who, you know, puts pressure on Aaron Ramsdale or any of the nonsense like that. But in terms of backups, I do think he's a, a step up on Bernd Leno, who I think was pretty poor, all things considered, in his Arsenal career. Uh, I do think he's a step up on Matt Ryan, who seemed to lose his way quite a bit. I think he's a step up on the name of that, uh, I can't even remember if he was Icelandic guy who they signed for about Runner three Alex weeks. Runnerson. That's the one. There you the go. The worst Runnerson. goalkeeper I've ever seen in my entire he life. Had, he, had, he had not a good spell, we're going to term that as. Um, and to be honest, if he doesn't fumble a free kick into the net, he's done better than him already, hasn't he? So, uh, Matt Turner, I expect to see you leave Arsenal in about three years' time with uh, a total collection of about nine appearances under your belt. And if you do more than that, fair play to you. I don't think there's really... What's he like with his feet? Uh, nondescript, I would say. I mean, it's fine. I didn't see him make any glaring errors. I didn't see him just launch every single time. But like I said, I'm speaking from limited viewings here. Mm. And when I was watching the Revs, more often than not, it was to watch the other team, to be perfectly honest. Uh, yeah. Not not really a side that I've focused on too much. So, you know, I, I think exactly what you would expect here. He's a, a solid enough backup goalkeeper. He might have some traits which were not on show in the few games that I watched, but I'm not going to get out of the seat and be excited about it because I don't expect him to play that much anyway. Um, Gabriel Jesus, where do we go here? Jesus is a good forward, right? He's a good all round forward. He's quite aggressive, and if he's on your team or you know he plays for the team you support, I suspect that you quite enjoy him because he's he's a bit narky and he gets on people's nerves. But the problem is, I always find that he gets on my nerves a lot more than he upsets me because he's done something very very good. And I know he's like obviously been playing in a very specific team, and they don't really necessarily use the number nine in the way that you would expect. I think it's a really good thing for him that he spent so long at City because it will have improved him tactically. I don't think his movement was that good when he started. He was much more of like a you know a, a, someone who played on the shoulder and is, was very quick behind the line and he was a decent finisher, but there wasn't a whole lot more to the rest of his game, I didn't think. So that has improved. If Arsenal were to play two up top, another one of those teams, if they were to play two up top, I would say Jesus is a really good second forward because he'll get goals. He's not going to be like a creative genius or anything like yeah. that. He'll work hard. He'll draw attention from the defenders away from the other number nine or the rest of it. But given that they have really good wide forwards, given that they have been trying to sign Rafinha, so presumably want another one as well, I can't see him playing wide. I can't see him being the second uh, option in, in a two-man because they have too many number 10s. So they're going to stick with one up front, which mm. is presumably now going to be him. I mean, he's, he, he'll probably be better than who Arsenal have had previously. And uh, I would love at this point to know what's going through Eddie and Ketty's head and what he was told before he signed his contract and just how many games he does start next season, because I don't really see it happening, to be honest. But is Gabriel Jesus as a number nine going to be good enough and consistent enough and enough of a goal scorer to get Arsenal into the top four with the competition that's around them? Not me, the answer is no. No, not for me either. I think you nailed it. I think as a striker, he belongs in a two, not as a lone striker. And he's spoken about that himself, that he prefers to play either in a two 
or sort of a narrow wide forward in a three. He's not an out-and-out nine. And I just, I don't really see any logic to what's going on here. I mean, the Rafinha thing, they, they, I, I don't understand why they were trying to get him either. Like, I get he's a really good player. You know I love Rafinha. I'd, I'd love to have him at Liverpool, but they don't need a Rafinha. They have Bakayo Saka, and I know he's flopped, but they have Nicolas Pepe as well, who's a good player. Your right wing is sorted. And they can say, oh, well, we're going to move one of them to the left wing. Right, so you're going to move one of them out of position to the side that they don't like playing on, which means you're now dropping Martinelli and Smith-Rowe. So you've got a log jam now in your wide positions, which is only going to lead to players being unhappy. And you've got Odegaard and Fabio Vieira in your number 10 position. Like, buy what you actually need. I saw someone say, oh, well, what Arteta's trying to do is replicate what City had, a bunch of versatile, interchangeable forwards. You're not Man City. Stop trying to be Man City. Be yourself. Be Arsenal. Be Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. And very little of their business makes sense to me, Carl. If they were already in a position where they had the defence absolutely sorted and they had really good depth in central midfield and all the rest of it, then I would say absolutely go and get Rafinha. Because yeah. he's unbelievably good. And at some point you're going to get, you know, I don't know, a three-month injury to Martinelli or to Saka or whoever, and you'll have that same level of quality still able to play one way or another. And almost I could understand and say, and indeed on another podcast I have said, if you can get Rafinha, just get him anyway and worry about the rest. But if they get Rafinha and then don't have money to do the rest... Yeah. That's a big difference. You know, you, if you, you play Rafinha and you're still starting Granite Jacket in midfield, your summer has been a failure. Would you agree with that? If Granite Jacket's still there, I think every summer's a failure. <laughs> I love that you're the one person who dislikes him more than me. <laughs> oh, let's forget about that. Oh, Liz- Lisandro Martinez. I actually thought this was quite a smart signing because. When I did this squad needs for every Premier League team this for this summer, one of the big needs for Arsenal was obviously defensive depth. They need a backup right back who stylistically and profile-wise is similar to Tommy Asu because when he's out of the team and Cedric comes in, the entire makeup of that back line changes. They needed a backup to Kieran Tierney. Again, someone stylistically like Tierney because, well, Nuno Tavares is just a head case and very different to Tierney, and a backup left-footed centre-back because so much of their build-up play depends on the passing angles that their centre-backs create by being a right-footer and a left-footer. Again, something he stole from Guardiola, who obviously wants to play Laporte plus plus Diaz. Um, so when it's you know Rob Holding or if William Saliba was stepping in there, it just changes the fundamental build-up pa- uh, patterns. So I looked at their defense and thought, right, if they're smart, and they, no, they're not smart, but if they were smart, they started Tommy Asu, Saliba, Gabriel, and Tierney. And then Ben White is your backup, right side center back and right back. That patches that together for you. You've got three players for those two positions. And Martinez could be the same thing on the left hand side. He could be the backup to Gabriel, he could be the backup 
to Kieran Tierney, and he can also fill in in midfield. So I actually thought he made sense for them, but they seem to be lowballing Ajax with the bids, which is just odd to me. If he's your top defensive target, go and pay the money. It's, it does seem odd that they would agree to pay money for certain players and not others, given the needs that they particularly have. I mean, they've just had another season where they conceded just shy of 50 goals. Now, we know from experience, if you concede 50 goals a season, you're going to struggle to get into the top four unless you have an insanely good attack. And at the minute, yeah. I would say Arsenal's is good, but it's not insanely good. It's not so much better than you know, Chelsea and Tottenham, who they're going to be in direct conflict with for, for a top four spot, let's say, next season. It's not better or that much better than them that they can afford to concede 45 50 goals a season so shoring up that defense whichever way that you choose to do it, whether that's better protection for uh the defense by sign and better screen for them whether that's a, a new goalkeeper whatever it is that you think is going to make you better defensively even if that's two players in midfield and you keep the same defensive mid as you had before but someone who can keep hold of the ball better and and uh, a bit harder whatever way it is that you choose to be better defensively You've got to make that your priority, surely. Now, yeah, you can say that, you know, obviously Jesus is they're paying big money for him because they need the goals. They need another uh, centre forward. They want him for a long-term uh, uh, impact up front and all the rest of it, fine. But you still have to improve the other end of the pitch because he doesn't make the difference when Spurs are now adding um, Richarlison. Let's say they are on par. Whichever one you think is slightly better, there's not going to be too much in it, Richarlison or, or Jesus. So, if they ever added someone of around the same level and they already had a better forward line than you to begin with, well, you've not made up any ground at all. You've not no. overtaken them for sure, but you haven't made up any ground. So you have to improve elsewhere. And if Lisandro is, is their top target or whoever is their top target, surely that's the one that you've got to be willing to outlay however much you think is necessary to get him. Obviously, everyone's going to have uh, a maximum point, but... You need to get that deal done. If you, you paid you fifty million for Ben White and twenty five million yeah. for Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, like this, you're not some crack negotiators. This this is the thing with Arsenal is that there's very rarely from one transfer window to another over the last ten years any continuation of strategy. No. And no no cohesive plan saying this is what this position is worth or this type of player is worth or this age bracket of player is worth or this reputation or international standing of players worth. There's no consistency to it at all and that makes it I think it makes it a lot more difficult for them from a negotiation standpoint because other teams have seen what they'll do over the last two years they've just loaned out players loaned out players loaned out players there's been very few of them who they've actually sold mm. and made a decent fee on even the ones that they've really sure, wanted to the only one. yeah Willock and that was because Newcastle just went all in on one player which based is exactly on what one we're saying here. spell yeah, but it's exactly what we're saying here for Arsenal. They decided which one they wanted would make the biggest difference for him, and they paid what it took, and that was all they did that summer. And maybe that was a mistake, but they decided on it. And Arsenal, have, I don't know what really they're doing here, because like, like I said, even the players that they've really been desperate to get rid of, they've paid to go away. Ozil, Aubameyang, all those many, many Kolasinac. defenders. <laughs> so many of them. Mustafi. Scott and Mustafi. Uh, just, and it just shows. like Those are not players that have been there for eight years, these are ones they bought over the last five, six years and so on. Mm. Less time for some of them. And people like Nicolas Pepe now, genuinely, do we think that someone's going to sign permanently Pepe this summer? Is that the thing? They'll no, and, and like you can loan him out, but all you're really doing is running years off his contract. You'd be better off just keeping him and using him. 
And if he leaves on a free in a couple of years, he leaves on a free in a couple of years. You didn't buy him. It's a sunk cost of somebody else's mistake. But if you can get something out of him, which you can, there's times where he still looks a good player and he's proven in his career he's a good player. Like that to me makes more sense than going and spending 60 million in the same position when you're not going to be able to sell Pepe in part because he's on massive money. But if you look at Arsenal last season, sixth best attack, eighth best defense. Like your, your attack is going to improve because Saka, Martinelli, Smithrow are all going to get older and get better. Eddie and Katty the same. They, and, and Gabriel Jesus helps that as well. Obviously, he'll add to that. He'll get more goals than, say, Lacazette did last year. So your attack was going to improve, but you've got to improve that defense. There is a very simple formula which basically guarantees top four football in any of the top five leagues. If your goal difference at the end of the season is plus 30, you will get top five, or top four rather. In the last 32 years, across the top five divisions, only two teams have gotten plus 30 and not played in the Champions League the next season. One of them was a Premier League season where five teams finished with that mark, which is a complete outlier and a complete fluke. The other one was Fiorentina, who finished second and only missed out on Champions League because they got points deducted because they were caught up in Calciopoli. So the only time it's actually happened where a team has missed out is when one league had five teams who hit that mark. That's it. Every other time, you get top four and Champions League football. So figure out how to get there. And the easiest way is to lower that defensive. Like you look at Spurs last season, 69 goals scored, 40 conceded. That's eight more than Arsenal on either side. Now, I would suggest that Arsenal's attack will improve by eight to 10 goals without doing anything, because I think Martinelli gets more, Smith-Rowe gets more, I think Odegaard gets more, Pepe can get you some, and Keke will get more with a full season, and Saka will get more, because they're getting older, they're getting better. But I don't see that defence improving. I think that's about the right number for a Mikel Arteta defence, unless they add better depth, because when Tierney and Gabriel aren't there and you're playing... Nuno Tavares or Rob Holding or both, as the case might be in some weeks, you're just going to be in serious trouble with those two in your team. I, I, the, the, there's no cohesive plan at Arsenal. I think Edu and Arteta are out of their depth, but it is what it is. Let's jump on. Aston Villa, we've, we've been over their signings. Coutinho, Diego Carlos, Robin Olsen and Bubakar Kamara. I think we both agreed Kamara is one of the best signings of the season. And Diego Carlos is a bit of a head-scratcher, especially if he's going to be paired with Mings, because that's got disaster written all over it. Uh, Bournemouth signing Ryan Fredericks and Joe Rothwell on a free. I like the Rothwell signing. I think he's one of the better midfielders in the championship. Ryan Fredericks, for me, is a bit of an odd one, because they needed a starting right-back, and if he's the answer, I still think they're in a bit of bother there. What, what's your view on those two so far? Um, uh, I mean, signing players on free transfers who have been in the Premier League already when you come up is not the worst idea, to be fair, is it? I mean, he's not, he's never going to be like a someone to get the fans on the edge of the seat, but Fredericks coming up is not a terrible addition. If he's a starter, he has been a starter 
I wouldn't say for West Ham, well, you know, they're, they're where they are now. He has occasionally started, but he's probably a starter who can be in the bottom half of the table without being a, a relegation candidate starting player, I wouldn't think. Uh, so I don't think that that's a, a, a terrible addition, but I, uh, I think the same as we usually say, to be perfectly honest, when teams come up, there's still a lot more to do, isn't there? I mean, if you mm. come up and you have had the sort of record, <clears throat> excuse me, record during the season that Bournemouth have, which is like most of them, you've won around half of your matches in the second tier. They won 25 out of 46, so slightly above half. You're going to struggle in the Premier League to get enough wins. That's that's the pure and simple fact of why teams struggle when they come up so often. They have a team which is good enough to win just over half of their matches against the second best 24 sides in the country. And it's it's that's why there's a massive gap, to be honest. It sounds like you know, teams like Bournemouth have done really well when they get 88 points. You've got to remember that there's 24 teams in this league. It's a significant number of matches more than the Premier League games uh, are played, obviously, than Premier League teams play. And if you already wipe out, let's say, the top five, six that you're probably not going to get points from at all during the next season, you have limited matches to, to do that. And you have to be a lot better when you come up than you were last season, barring a very, very few number of teams who you know, keep the same style of play and all the rest of it. Teams like Brentford coming up have shown how you can be good, but even they added players and even they had a very, very specific way of recruitment and stylistic play. Teams like Norwich have shown how you can stay largely the same. And even if you add a few players, it's not enough. It's nowhere near enough. So I, I do think Bournemouth have got quite a bit of work to do. Um, I'm not speaking from the greatest position of uh, authority, obviously, on how they played across the whole of the season, because it's only towards the end of the campaign that I really start to watch the championship to see who might be coming up and see how they play and so on. But from what I've seen so far, or from what I saw at the end of last season, I should say there's there's a few additions required. Yeah, I think there's, there's a few additions required for sure. I think they've got probably le- a little less to do than, say, um, Fulham and Forest, even though Fulham came up top they've lost Carvalho and they don't have great depth. Whereas I think Bournemouth have a lot of good squad players. It's just starters that they really need. And Forrest lost a lot of players, obviously, that came up on loan for them. But we'll get to both of them. Uh, Brentford haven't signed anyone yet, but it does look like Aaron Hickey is on his way, the young Scottish left-back, who I'm a big fan of. Um, he's one that Arsenal have managed to miss out on because they got so wrapped up in this Lisandro Martinez uh, pursuit that they missed out on their previous top left-back ta- uh, target. So we'll wait and see how he does. We'll wait and talk about him when he lands. Uh, Brighton have signed Julio Enciso and Simon Adringa. Uh, one is in a kind of a second striker. One is a left-winger. Both very talented, but both very young. Don't think they really improved the first team for this season. It'd be no surprise if Adringa found his way out on loan uh, this season. Uh, Inciso's massively rated, but again, like he's an 18-year-old coming from Paraguay. It, can we really expect him to move the needle? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> this is the point here, because I think this is, might be the first summer in quite a while a team has signed three players, and I don't know any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is like that like it it's just their their recruitment is exceptional um so i would put faith in them 
in those players working out. The other one they got, Benicio Baker Boati, uh, who's English but was at Porto. Ooh. So, you know, we'll wait and see. He's another left winger. Um yeah, they're 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 very much digging into the the young recruitment at the minute, but I, I really hope they don't they don't ignore the needs that they had in their first team. They need a centre back. They need some depth at right wing back. They're probably going to need a new left back if Cucurella goes to Manchester City. They could do it replacing East Basuma. And they've needed a striker for a couple of years, so they've got to get that done as well. Um, but So they're going to be interesting to, to follow. Um, moving on then, Chelsea haven't signed anyone yet, but they do seem to be providing us with quite a bit of comedy. Uh, they thought they had Rafinha done. It seems like he doesn't want to go there. He'd rather go to uh, Barcelona. Now they're quite deep in negotiations for Raheem Sterling, which is a signing I like for them. And Nathan Aki, which doesn't make sense to me at all. And they're also the team most strongly linked with signing Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, it looks to me like things are not all all very good at Chelsea. I think Nathan Ake would be the archetypal homegrown signing because he was a Chelsea kid, so he actually counts for uh, club-grown as well as mm. uh, homegrown, let's say. So he counts towards both of them. And I think he would be the you know the usual squad. Let's assume that they're going to carry on playing the three. He can probably play two of the three centre-back roles if you really need him to. And if you absolutely need him to, he can switch out to left-back. We already know that. They've played a back four plenty of times. And importantly... They haven't got any money in for the players who have left. You know, Rudiger leaving on a free is a big one to replace. Christensen leaving on a free is a big one to replace. Mm. Danny Drinkwater leaving on a free is... Doesn't get any bigger than that one. ...for the entirety of Chelsea. <laughs> um, and obviously Lukaku on loan will be a loan fee, but it'll be nothing of the sort of the... And it'll be taken off the money that they already owe Inter. They're not yes. actually going to get anything for that. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think it's fine that they... they look for a couple of those kind of Ake deals where they can pay hopefully not too much, get them in to cover one or two roles and like I say, cover the cover the quota homegrown stuff as well. So that's that's I'm all right with that. I'm fine with Nathan Ake. I said at the time City was signing him we could Would you pay fifty well. million for him? No, I wouldn't I wouldn't have paid that for what did City pay forty million for him or 40, in the first yeah. place. Yeah. So I I was thinking, you know, around twenty, twenty five sort of mark he would cover two or three positions for him, that'd be fine. So if they pay a little more than that, then maybe that's also okay because of the contract situation now and all the rest of it. But beyond that, difficult, unless they think that he is capable of being a starting centre-back for them. And if that is the Mm. case, um, okay. But I don't honestly think that that's a a title-defining signing. But then again, we thought Lukaku would be a title-defining signing last season, and he wasn't. So maybe this one works in the opposite direction. Uh, Sterling is a really, really good addition if they get that done. I think he's a, a unbelievably good player. He's such a clever player. And I do think that they probably need to streamline those attacking options a little bit. Sterling, if he comes in, is a guaranteed starter. So I think yes. that that's a, a win-win for them. Cristiano Ronaldo, like most teams, I think Chelsea should stay away from that deal as far as possible. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah, as a, as a neutral observer, you definitely tell them to stay away. As a rival fan, you'd rub your hands together if they signed him because that will be an absolute train wreck. Um, look, Aki's fine. If City are willing to take a £15 million loss on him and he's 25, yeah, then absolutely. Nathan Aki 
can make sense to you. He can cover left back. He can cover centre back in a four or a three. Um, but if they want the same money they paid from or a profit, I think that is just not what Chelsea should do. I think Chelsea'd nearly be better off if they wanted to spend fifty million on a former Chelsea Academy centre back, go and throw it at Palace for Nathan, for Mark Wehi, um, who you shouldn't have sold last summer anyway, because if you had Tamori and Gwehi still at your club, you wouldn't need to go out and buy replacements for Christensen and uh, Rudiger. You'd have them in, in house already. But you're very it's, stupid. I do think it's odd though that some of the reports that we've seen say that if they can't get Ake on the deal that they want, then they'll go for Delict or Kunde. Uh, those three, couldn't other than the different. fact they are defenders, have very little in common. And to be perfectly honest, in the back three, you'd play them all with each other. Yes. Delict in the middle. So how yeah. they go from one to the other, again, is, is amusing to say the it, least. It, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And the other thing as well is like Nathan Aki, like he's a good player. You have Le- Levi Colwell, who's the most promising young English defender in his age group who's also a left-footed centre-back that can play left-back if you need him to. I don't know what they're doing. Um, it doesn't make sense. Let's move on. Crystal Palace. Uh, Sam Johnston in from West Brom. I'm not a huge fan, but I do think he's an upgrade. And Malcolm Abui in as a young player on compensation from Derby County. Very talented young winger who turned down Man United to move to Crystal Palace. But the one that they're set to announce this week is one I know you like, Czech de Kure. What about Palace's window so far? Uh, if they get that one over the line, that's a huge deal for them. Really, really good. Uh, just to quickly flip back to Chelsea to, to not ignore Guy in the background. He has just exclaimed in surprise in the chat that Chelsea still own Timo Bakayoko. Yes. yes, they do. And he still has two years to go on his Chelsea contract. Yes. Uh, although I think Milan have a obligation this summer to buy him. I'm not sure there. It might be next summer that they have to buy him if he's on loan for two years, can't remember. Anyway, the Bakayoko saga continues there. Uh, Decore will be a really, really good addition for them. I have to say the Palace obviously operate on a different scale to, to the top end of the league, but their, their work, their business and the transfer market over the last 12 months has been some of the most fun and interesting to watch. Uh, we spoke about them at the back end of last season about how they had such a really good opportunity a real project opportunity and they could build themselves whatever way they wanted to be and I love the way that they've chosen to do it it's younger players it's the top championship players it's mm. given a pathway to to players who could go on and be the next thing and obviously with a, a manager who's, who's proven himself nicely as well and a good style of play and all the rest of it so really really nice work if they get that done and I hope that they add another one or two because they probably need a little more depth if they want to push them. Yeah, they need a, what they, did they need a starting right back because, like Joel Ward and Nat Klein, can get you so far. But there's there's a clear drop off when you look at you know Mitchell's a good left back. They've got a really good centre back pairing. That right back spot is a bit weak. They could do with some depth at centre back, and I would I would say they need a second one in midfield because Dakure coming in replaces Koyata, who's left. It uh, seems like he's going to Saudi Arabia, I think. They need to replace Conor Gallagher as well. Now, they might look for a loan to do that. Um, they might even try and get Conor Gallagher back on loan if Chelsea decide not to keep him this summer. Um, but they'll definitely need a second one in midfield. But I, lo- I think you're right. I love what Palace are doing. I love how they've gone about this rebuild, completely changing the culture at Crystal Palace, completely changing the mentality. It's no longer just about survival. 
it's no longer about being happy just to finish, you know, 13th, 14th each season. It's about developing young players, moving the club forward, becoming a more attractive location for young players, like you said, providing a pathway to Premier League football. And that's why you're seeing them get players like Abue, uh, Luke Plange, I think is the other one they got in January. Um, this is why young players are choosing this club because they're looking at Elise, they're looking at Eze, they're looking at you know Tyreek Mitchell, they're looking at Mark Wehi and thinking, well, they're all young and they're all starting. And Mark Wehi was 21 wearing the captain's armband last year. And they've got other young players coming through their academy that are, are going to make the first team grade. I think what you'll also see as well is they will become the preferred landing spot for young players at Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham who don't make the grade, who get released. If Palace go in for them, I think Palace will get the majority of the ones they want. So the next time Chelsea do a stupid and they release a Declan Rice, Palace will hoover them up. The next time Arsenal release a high-end young player who just hasn't quite made the grade there, Palace will hoover them up. And players will be more willing to go there. They've just spent a fortune building out a new academy. They've got a good training ground. They've got ambitious owners. And they've got a manager in Vieira who's willing to put his faith in youth. So all of that, very, very positive for Palace. Uh, One last Chelsea point where we talk about contracts. Good news for Chelsea. Kepa only has three years left on his contract at $9 a year. So congrats on that. Uh, Moving on to the EV. James Tarkovsky, Carl, is this the smartest Everton signing in five years? <laughs> uh, yeah, you might even be able to go back further than that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, look, I like some of the work that Everton have done over the last, well, let's say the start of the January transfer window. And this should be another good addition. They need to figure out how they're going to play on a regular basis and be consistent about it tactically. And they need to obviously add one or two more now that people like Richardson have gone, that kind of thing. Mm. Otherwise, they will struggle again. But it should be a really good platform for them, whether you play him in a, a two, which obviously he's very, very used to, or whether you go for a three and you use Miklenko and maybe Patson next season as backups right from the start of the campaign. Make your decision and make sure that the rest of the recruitment is in line with that. Not None of this nonsense of the end of January where they just panic signs two to play in the exact same role and then neither of them really got a run of games. Neither of them really had too much of an impact. I think now across this preseason, you've got to hope that Lampard and the rest of his coaches, and when I say you've got to hope, I obviously don't mean Liverpool fans, I mean Everton, um, that they can figure out how to get the best out of Deli Alley. Find out now, yeah. before you sign any attackers, how you're going to use him. Are you going to use him as one behind? Are you going to use him as a central midfielder? Are you going to be using him as a you know runner in from the left, as he did a couple of times at the back end of last year? You've got the opportunity now to make someone who you know can be that good to be a focal part of the team. Mm. If he's, if you know, you've had what four, five months now, five months with him, you must by now know his mentality, his frame of mind, how how determined he is to get back to that level. He must be fit enough by now. All those things should be taken care of. And it's about the tactics and the technical part of his game. How do you get the best out of him? And if you know that, sign players accordingly. You've got to have an alternative or somebody to play with Calvert-Lewin because the rest of your nines are either gone, non-existent or absolute rubbish anyway. (laughs) So don't be doing things like the 
I don't know, the Moise Kea, an absolute farce for three years, things like the uh, Chen Tolson. Oh, God, just forget all of this. Don't go and sign Shane Long now that he's on a free transfer. Stop doing stuff like this. You've got a good player here at the back. You've already got another good player at the back of Bed Godfrey. Find mm. a way to either pair them together and get a decent work out of your fullbacks. And if those fullbacks, Patterson probably particularly, because I know McLean could play left back in a four anyway. But if Patterson, if you're not too convinced about him, you need to find out either the way to uh, use him in the team elsewhere or to find the right right back. Because it's not Seamus Coleman at 712 years of age. No. And then work from the back. You've got your platform. Find the way to get Dali Ali involved. Find out the way that you need to have your build-up structure and all the rest of it. Where's Anthony Gordon going to play? Is he going to be a wide forward? Are you going to use him as a wing back? Are you going to use him as a really aggressive second striker? You've got to figure it out. You've got to be able to now, in the, in the next, what, four weeks or so? Six weeks, really. Find the way that you're going to play and get the players in accordingly for that. They've got a really good opportunity here. Everton mm. have got a much, much stronger base for their team than any of the... Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Counting the three who have come up, I would say they've got a better base to build from than six of the seven clubs below and above them. Aston Villa, the only one I think are a better place to them in it, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but all the rest of the Brentford, Southampton, none of those should be able to compete with Everton. You've no. got to get it right. No, I agree. And like, if you look at a potential 11, like neither of us are Pickford fans, but Pickford in goal, Patterson right back, Michael Enko left back. Um, Godfrey and Tarkovsky as a, as a two in, in central defence. Dekure is one of a double pivot in midfield. You need to find someone to go next to him because Alan is clearly finished. You go Damari Gray right wing, Anthony Gordon left wing, Calvert-Loon as your nine, and Delhi behind him. In that role, he excelled in a Spurs. Like, that's not a bad starting point for them to start building off. You absolutely need to go and find that holding midfielder to play next to the Curry. It looked like they were going to sign Harry Winks and now they've moved on from that. I don't know why. And then it is about, you know, depth and upgrades. So, you know, that team should be enough with some of the decent depth they have there, like Iwobi and uh, Holgate and players that, it should be enough to keep them in the division. Now, whether or not Lampard's good enough to keep them in the division, I don't know. Um, but, it's not like they need a completely new team. There is the bones of something there. It might be a team that finishes 15th, but 15 keeps you in the division. And that's really all next season can be about for Everton, staying in the division. Because you're not going to do anything more with Frank Lampard. Like, Lampard is not getting you into Europe. He's not winning you anything. So they need to consolidate what they have, figure out what they have, spend a year figuring out are Damari Gray and Anthony Gordon good enough to start? Can Deli Ali get back to the player he was? They've been linked with a move for Lingard, and I have a feeling they might end up getting him. And if they do that, then I don't know how you play him and Deli in the same team. Maybe you play Lingard from one wing, and then that's fine. So if it's Lingard as a narrow right side, Deli is a 10, and Gordon or Gray on the left, that can be okay as well. Andros Townsend comes back. You've got some depth. You do have to buy a backup striker. You've also got to hope, and I mean really cross your fingers and hope that Calvert-Lewin doesn't force his way out this summer as well because if he does, you're screwed because there's no goals left if he goes other than Delhi. Um, get the holding midfielder. 
they've got okay depth at centre back with Holgate and Mina and Keane. You can patch that together. They've got Niels and Kunku as a backup left back if they're willing to use him. Seamus Coleman, like you said, as well past it, but he can be a backup right back. You've got to get a starting holding midfielder and a good backup striker and then figure out how things work from there. Figure out what the level of these players is. You're not going to have big money to spend. Those days are over now for Everton with Usmanov gone and with your finances the way they are, plus most of your money now getting funneled towards a stadium that your owner doesn't seem to be able to afford. Um, It's going to be a rough patch for Everton. It's just about staying in the division. So each season, that's got to be the aim. Stay in the division. Until the stadium is built and you start bringing in money from it and it can start to pay for itself, you've just got to stay in the division. And it's not sexy. It's not what they want. It's not what their fans will want. But that's the reality of the situation. Um, Let's move on. I really like this one. Joe Polina to Fulham. They needed a holding midfielder. I think they've got one of the better holding midfielders in Europe. I'm surprised that they got him because Wolves seemed very, very keen as well. Uh, What are your thoughts on Joe Polina to Fulham? I'm very glad I'm no longer going to have to read the silly rumours that we want him or the boring ones that Wolves want him. That's basically (laughs) as far as it goes for me. (laughs) That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I think he make it. I think he'll make a good difference for them. I think he's the the type of player they need. But they need quite a bit more. They've got to get their work done in the next couple of weeks. They can't afford another situation like the last time they were up, when they were still signing players in the remaining hours of the of the transfer window, because that just it completely torpedoed their season. Uh, I think we've talked about the Leeds trio: Brandon Aronson, Aronson Rasmus Christensen, and Mark Roca. Uh, Leicester have done nothing yet. Manchester City today announced the signing of Calvin Phillips. They also announced Stefan Ortega from Armenia Belfield the other day. I have to say, Carl, I really like the Phillips signing. I think it's a it's a big price for someone who's not going to be a starter. But he's a very good player. He's an upgrade on Fernandinho. He improves their squad. He gives Pep a new option of a double pivot with him and Rodri, which I definitely think can work um, for certain games. So I think he improves them. Ortega, I mean, nothing I've seen impressed me. He's good with his feet, but I wouldn't. City fans are very excited about this signing, even though none of them had heard of him two weeks ago. I wouldn't be overly keen on him. Um, I think the question here is, did uh, Wembley incidents cost Mr. Number Two his spot as number two here? That's really the only uh, interesting question about the Ortega signing, I think. Um, don't really think it makes any difference. He's not going to displace Aderson, is he? So, what was this for? Just to not have Scott Carson be on the bench twice a season? It doesn't really make mm. any difference, I don't think. Uh, Calvin Phillips is a different matter. I, I was discussing this the other day uh, when it was not quite clear who was going to be signing. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if for the first half of the season Man City try and simplify a lot and just play the double pivot midfield you've just spoken about, Rodri and Calvin Phillips, and that's your platform. And then everything else is basically geared to having Haaland play as often as possible. He's got those three behind him who are going to be offering all the service in all the different ways. Mm. And just let him 
get points on the board for City with his goals and the rest of them, obviously. But really, to, this is about integrating Haaland because this Premier League season is going to be split into two, as we know. Yeah. And I think that there's too many unknowns at this point to worry about the second half of the season. You know, when normally we would have like a, you know, Alex Ferguson used to make a big thing about having a plan for the season in terms of like you'll, you'll start probably a little bit below your optimal uh, fitness levels. But then by the time you hit the Christmas period, you would be like in your in your top, fitness and all the rest of it and then later in the season obviously you want a much more settled side and all the rest of it later on that changed so that you had to be really fit at the start of the season well i think that this is again going to be about getting points on the board between now and november you've got to win nearly every game if you want to win the league pretty much that and then you don't worry about what comes afterwards because between fatigue a second pre-season uh players who are going to be traveling across the other side of the world for for three weeks randomly in the middle of the campaign um, all these things which are just so, so unknowable, you cannot worry about it too much right now. You've got to focus on this first almost half a campaign and just get as many points on the board as you can. If you can win 95% of your matches, I think you'll be there or thereabouts already, to be perfectly honest, because there will be some stupidities to deal with and there will be some unknown quantities to deal with afterwards. Um, it's It's too hard to try and manage. And you need, therefore, your big match winners, your killers in front of goal, basically, to just hit the ground running. And the best way to do that for someone like Haaland is to simplify the game for him. Mm. Make sure that he can just be in and around the box and in the areas where he's most effective. Don't worry too much about the tactical integration and all the rest of that. You can do that with Haaland in a four-week break in the middle of the season because he's not going to the World Cup. You can do all that tactical work, all the game development, all the rest of it then, after he's already scored you 17 goals in the first half of the season and got you top of the table or second of the table, whatever it is that they're they're looking at by then. And I think that Phillips is a big part of that. He's I, I would expect him to play quite a lot in the first half of the season at least. And then obviously you see form, fitness and all the rest of it later on. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. It wouldn't surprise me to see Phillips and Rodri as a two and then Bernardo, KDB and Foden as a three behind Haaland um, because they, they're the three that give him the best service. You know, he could even play KDB on the right of that three and Hall- and, and Bernardo was a, almost like a 10 because you'll get that elite level crossing, that elite level delivery from KDB and from Phil Foden. So, yeah, I mean, I, and I think you're right. I do think this is like, this is more like a, one of those South American seasons where it is going to be like two mini league campaigns, you know, where you've kind of got to be in the top two in the first one. Because if you're too far behind, you you might just be screwed. Um, I don't think this, because of how this season's going to work with the big break and a lot of good players not going to the World Cup and managers having time to scheme and plan, I, I do think a slow start here can, can completely destroy a team's season. Manchester United haven't actually signed anybody yet, but it does appear like Christian Eriksen is on his way. David Ornstein reporting today that Ericsson has chosen United. Now, he was rumoured to have turned them down. I wonder if they went back with a bigger contract offer. I don't really understand this signing. I have to be honest. I like Ericsson. I I, I very much like Ericsson. I think he's a very good player. I don't know how he fits with Bruno Fernandes. I don't know how he fits if they sign Frankie de Jong. Is he going to play wide left? So if he's if he's wide left and Sancho's wide right and Bruno's your ten, where's the pace in your team? 
Like, who have you got that can really break a game open with a burst of pace? Um, what What are your thoughts on Ericsson to United? I don't really know. I mean, he's, he's obviously a good enough player to start there, but you definitely need a bit more aggression and, like you say, speed in the attack. And obviously Sancho's got speed, but you need more than just the one. And you need Fernandez probably playing quite often. Are they going to go to a 4-3-3 and they're going to go for a defensive mid, Fernandez and Eriksson? I mean, maybe, but then you still need at least two more signings probably. And that's still relying on Ronaldo as it stands being your number mm. nine. So I think there's still quite a bit of work to do there. Malassia is another one that they should have done pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel. Bit of a bizarre uh, one. Yeah. I mean, he's good. Don't sure. get me wrong. I mean, yeah, they I, have I, two I good left-backs. Yeah, I think in this case, we probably have to assume either Tellers doesn't want to be there anymore or they've told him you're not going to be there anymore. Uh, or it's just one of those where the managers come in and say, I really like this player I'd like to bring with me. And that's kind of his, his welcome present, if you like, you know, one that was already yeah. kind of agreed before it was all agreed. So fine. I guess we could assume that he, he probably knows a bit more about him because he's been in that league and the rest of it. But in midfield, I'm not really sure how I would think about uh, Frankie De Jong, Bruno Fernandes, Christian Eriksen, three game after game after game. I think against certain teams, that's going to get swallowed up and spit out. Uh, I still think that there's a, a much more forceful personality needed in midfield for United. Mm. Maybe the Ericsson addition is just about depth, to be honest. Maybe he's going to play back up for Fernandez and back up for the left and enable them to play a different way. Again, this is another one where we don't really know how they're going to set up yet, uh, whether he is going to go with his usual system or he's going to change things up completely. If I'm Donny van der Beek, I'm walking in this morning and asking for a, a transfer. Because if, if Ericsson is the backup to Bruno, then what is Donny at this point? You know? On the transfer list, presumably. Has to be. Has to be looking for a way out. Um, Frankie's a weird one. It doesn't appear like he wants to go there at all. And there's talk now that he might take a pay cut to stay at Barcelona. Um, he's obviously a very, very good player. But you can't just sign Frankie and think he's fixing that midfield. You've got to put someone in with physicality and ball winning next to him. Now, I saw someone make a really good point on social media yesterday, which is unusual, obviously, for Twitter. But um, Lisandro Martinez also has been strongly linked to them. Could he slot in as the central defensive midfielder next to Frankie in a two? Because he has that aggression. He has that ball winning. So that, that could be quite a sensible signing for them. He's your starting holding midfielder, but he can also be cover at centre-back as and when needed. Yeah, I think it's still probably lacking a bit of mobility in there. A um, bit better defensively. I think that's good cover if you're having a double pivot like that. But again, you're then asking questions of a whole bunch of players and where they're going to play and how you get rid of them because they're not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that is true. The, the whole club is a bit of a mess. Uh, let's move on. Newcastle United. Matt Target was there last season. They needed a left-back. They've kept him. They wanted an upgrade in goal. They got an upgrade in goal by adding Nick Pope for $10 which is a signing I quite like. And then they finally got their man, Sven Botman, in at centre-back. Now, they've still obviously got quite a bit to do, and I think another centre-back is absolutely necessary. But I have to say, I do like the additions of Nick Pope and Sven Botman. This is going more sensibly 
than I think a lot of people expected when Newcastle got the influx of money. Yeah, I think um, we spoke about this fairly recently, and I think that the, what they do show is that one, it's not going to be a ridiculously high line because Nick Pope is not a, a sweeper outside his box, and no. Sven Botman is not particularly uh, agile on the turn. This uh, is a mid fine. block. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that this is a, you know, let's say step two in Newcastle's sort of five-step plan. It's not really going to be where they just come in and buy everybody they possibly can. They are fairly conscientiously here taking steps forward, signing better players, but they're not, you know, international caliber players right away. They are players who are capable of being in European sides, maybe a bit better than they are, a bit better than the the teams who are uh, above and around them. And I think that it's, it's good consolidation to make the squad overall a lot better. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think if they can add a good partner for Botman, someone with decent recovery pace, and a good holding midfielder to partner Bruno Gomerich, I think they could be very, very happy with that summer's work. They'd have a new-look defence that would need some time to get to know each other and settle in, but would be well-balanced because, you know, Trippier has good experience and he's comfortable in a mid-block, target the same at left-back, Botman and whoever. That then feeds into what Nick Pope is comfortable with. And then a good holding midfielder should see you get a bit more out of Gamerish. And if it's a Gamerish holding midfielder, Jolington midfield three, that's pretty strong. You're not going to have a, a ton of goals in the team. But again, it's this is step two. This is a long process for Newcastle. Because the one thing I'll give them credit for is they seem to be quite conscientious of the, the spending rules. And they don't want to overspend because I don't think they want to come under the same sort of scrutiny that City have come under. So they're not going to overspend. They've obviously done well to appoint Dan Ashworth there as well. I think we'll see more of his impact in January and then next summer. But it does look like they've got an actual plan here. Um, How long they stick to it, who knows. But some people thought when Eddie Howe was given the job, they'll bin him in the summer, they'll go big and they'll start spending a fortune. But that doesn't appear to be what Newcastle are doing, and and credit to them. Um, I I like the moves they're making so far. Nottingham Forest. Teu Awani, former Red, brought in from Union Berlin, and Julian Biancone of Troyes, who is a... He's a right-back in a four. I think he's a centre-back in a three rather than a wing-back. He's a talented player. Um, good, strong, young defender. Awani is the big one, though. They've spent big money to get him in, and they've brought in Dean Henderson on loan from United, which I think is a great signing. I think he's a big upgrade on Bryce Samba. They've still got work to do, but I think they're they're going in the right direction so far this summer. And Nico Williams obviously been strongly linked to a move there. Yeah, I think at both ends of the pitch, they've they've made really good signings here to be honest Henderson's obviously a, a really good capture for them we know he's capable Premier League level but Tyler Wani as well is a really really good signing for them uh, maybe you remember uh, last year I sort of said that we should probably look at keeping him instead of uh, Origi and sell mm-hmm. Origi for you know contract situation the types of players they were but we sold Awani obviously and he went on and had a really really good season again uh, very, very good goal scorer, good in one-on-one situations, very, very strong on the ball and holding off defenders. But his link-up play is also really good and his movement very clever as well. 
he benefited a lot from playing in a two-man attack a lot of the time as well, which last season Forrest did. So uh, presuming that they stick more or less to the same type of um, systems that they had quite a lot of the time, mm. he should he should be really good for them. I'm quite excited to finally see him in the Premier League. Yeah, me too. I think the biggest thing for them so far this summer is also the extension of Brennan Johnson, who is one of the better young players in the country and I think had a lot of clubs sniffing around him. Yeah. So to get him locked up long term is really good. And he could play with Awani. He could play to one side of Awani and maybe Sam Surridge on the other side. And that could be a three. Or they could play Surridge and Awani with Johnson behind. Two of them could start. One could come off the bench if they get a number 10 in. This is good business by them. They're, they're doing things the right way. And they're not overextending themselves. And they're, they're filling their positions of need. Um, moving on then to Southampton. I've got to say, I actually really like what they're doing. They're going young, similar to what we've seen Palace do, similar to what they did themselves a couple of summers ago when they brought in Silisu and Diallo. Uh, Gavin Basunu is Ireland's number one. He's a really good goalkeeper arriving from Manchester City. Matthias Liz is a young Polish goalkeeper. He's come in from Altai in Turkey on a free. Armel Belakotchup is a very promising young centre-back. They needed another centre-back because they had Bednarak, they had Salisu, they had Leanko, they needed a fourth one because Jack Stevens just doesn't cut the most at a Premier League level. This guy has absolutely the potential to become a starter for them. Um, and it looks like Romeo Lavia, the young Manchester City uh, defensive midfielder, is on his way as well, which was another big need for them because they only had three central midfielders last year. Uh, Romeo, Ward-Prowse, and Diallo, this gives them the fourth one that they need. It gives them a very, very high upside young player who has the potential to go on and be, I think, a top-class player. Uh, only 18, doesn't turn 19 till January. I really like what they're doing here. Yeah, I, I think it's a good start. I think they need to do a little bit more, though. Mm. I think they will need to sign at least one pretty senior player as well, because, again, like you, I like... The In attack, preferably. Preferably in attack, but maybe also in midfield, perfectly honest. Um, I, I think that it's a bit of a mistake to try and rely so much on Ward Prowse and Romeo being constantly fit all the time and relying on them to play game after game after game. Obviously, they've got quite a few decent young players now who they hope will be pretty good for them in the future, but the likelihood of all of them being first team capable is fairly low. You know, it doesn't usually happen that all of them come through and play that way. Obviously, they need a few things like Tina Livermento to come back from injury and be same level as it was last year. I uh, agree with you on uh, Bella Kotschap being a very good signing for them. I think he's someone who could be probably a big sale for them in the future as well, mm. to be perfectly honest. He had, he had some really good games last year in Germany. Um, but yeah, I think one in attack and one in midfield would be the the minimum expectations for them. I mean, long leaving is not a terrible loss in terms of goal, return, <laughs> obviously, but, <laughs> but in Everything else that he gives them, just that extra option off the bench, someone who'll run in the last minutes and all that stuff is 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 something they do need to replace. Just the mm. just the alternative experienced player, preferably someone who's not just come out of the championship and is and they lost Armando Broja as well, yeah. which obviously creates a big hole up front because you know there's been some talk that Adam Armstrong could go on loan. And of course, the other, only the striker of the club, r- real striker of the club, is Che Adams. He can't really. I, I think they need a, 
No, I think they need a starting nine who is a, an already top-flight-level senior player, and I think that they need to add another centre-mid, to be honest, to stop these terrible, terrible runs that they keep having with mm-hmm. like seven, eight, nine, ten games where they can barely buy a goal, let alone a win. Uh, but of course, the biggest thing that they've done this summer is finally solve that goalkeeping riddle, and hopefully we no longer have to have the same conversations about which one of the 17 goalkeepers are going to be rotated in this week. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, I do think there's some some decent hope there for them in terms of, like, I think they've got a lot of faith in, in Will Smallbone and what he can become for them. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see if he gets much run. Um, that kind of more attacking part of the midfield, you know, they play that box midfield, the, the more attacking two, I think might benefit from assigning as well. You know, they've, they've got Nathan Redmond can play in there. Gineppo can play there. El Yanusi plays in that role. Stuart Armstrong plays in that role. But nobody has really made one of those two positions their own and nailed it down where you look at it and think, that's an every-game starter for them. Like, you look at their midfield, Ward-Prowse and Romeo, that, that's been the two. Um, they'll be expecting a, a big step forward, I think, this season from Ibrahim and Diallo in terms of, you know, his ability to play more regularly. He's now 23. Um, Smallbone, I think they're expecting a lot from, and obviously they bring in this kid, Lavia. If you want to add one there, but I think they've got to add in that next line as well and then get that nine because otherwise you're going to be relying on Che Adams and Adam Armstrong. And while they're both talented, I think Armstrong is best with a striker. And it wouldn't surprise me if Ben Brereton Diaz becomes a target for them because him and Armstrong were really good together at Blackburn. And then Adams can be your third striker and he can play with either of the two. I think that's fine. Um, moving on then to Tottenham. Ivan Perisic, Fraser Forster, Yves Basuma, and Richarlison. Um, I, I like the Perisic signing, though I'm not sure it was necessarily needed. I really like the Basuma edition. I think that's a really good one for them. Richardson, in terms of what he is as a player, is a really good get because he can be the backup to Son. He can be the backup to Kane. He can play with both of them in a front three. Though I think Kulisevsky should remain the starter. So I do really like him, but I'm not sure I like him at 50 million when it appears like that might have been your centre-back budget. And now you're going to bring in Clement Langley on loan as opposed to Josco Gvardiol, who was your original target, or Pau Torres. No, no, no transfer business which ends in signing Clement Langley can be considered a success, I'm afraid. So that immediately wipes out anything else that they've done at all. Uh, I mean, Ben Davies, I don't think, was terrible last season as their third centre-back uh, on, the, on the left side, obviously. I don't necessarily see Longley is going to be any better than that. I, I really don't. I, don't. I don't like what Longley has been for several years, even back at his Sevilla days before Barca signed him. So mm. uh, I, I just, you no, know, not for me. But anyway, the rest of it, pretty good. Um, Richarlison, I think, is an important. I mean, I know the money is big, but I think he's an important addition for them to have what we've spoken about so often. You have four starters for three positions, basically. And that can make such a big difference at the top end of the Premier League. If you're going, you know, fed up scrapping for the top four, you just want to be in the top four. Well, having that is a really good starting point. And like I said, it keeps them at the very least the same gap between themselves and Arsenal. If that's what you're looking as a, a direct comparison, 
Champions League games, presumably they're now not going to be having to rotate in 16-year-olds and you know 33-year-old on loans who they've been doing for the last few seasons in the Europas, just bringing in whoever is, is they don't really care about to play those games until they go out. It's going to be different in the Champions League. Um, so they do need that extra um, attacking depth and probably mm. you'll see Perisic playing that attacking line from time to time as well because uh, the wing-back presumably will still require some rotation. Basuma gives them two from three of exactly the same type and level in midfield. I think between him, Bentecourt and Hoiberg, that is really, really good options now for Conte to be able to just... Maybe he'll have two starters consistently, but basically you'll be able to play whichever two of them together that you like yeah. and you won't really notice any difference at all. I think that's a very, very good overall sum of the Spurs so far. Yeah, I, I do think so. I, I just... For me, like, if you're going to look to progress and you're going to look to finish better off in the league this season and solidify yourself in the top four. I think one of the areas they had to upgrade was, you know, I just, Eric Dyer and Ben Davies for me, just, you know, you've got Romero, build a great defense around him. You've got this incredible defensive talent, go and find players of that level. This would have been another good fit for Lisandro Martinez as the left-sided center back in this three. Um, But I'd have, I'd have gone for, for um, Guardiola, whatever it cost. I just think he's that good. Ben Davies is fine and a, a, a good backup. But like you said, Longley, I don't think is much better than Davies if he's any better at all. So I just, I don't know what, what the thinking is there. They are look they are looking to bring in Jed Spence as their new right wing back. And I do like Jed Spence a lot. So um, I think it's a bit early for him to become a starter for a top four team, but I can see the logic in it for Spurs. Get him now before his price goes through the roof. Uh, moving on to West Ham, um, I, I like what they've done so far. They've made the Alphonse Ariola deal permanent. It looks like he'll become first choice this coming season. I think that's a, a, a clever move. He was good in the Europa League run. He's definitely better than Fabianski. He's been at the club. He knows the club. They know him. It makes sense. Uh, Nayef Agard from Rennes, left-sided centre-back, definitely a position of need with Agbona having the knee injury and being 35, I don't think you really want to go into another season with Craig Dawson as a starter. For me, Kurt Zuma and Agard, that's a good pairing. And then you've got Dawson, you've got Ogbonna when he comes back, you've got his Diop. I think your centre-back room is, is fairly strong there. They could do it a starting left-back, but I'm, I'm sure they'll get to it. They are being quite ambitious, and there's been talk of Armando Brogia. There's been a lot of talk recently about Arnett Danjuma and that they're willing to pay his buyout clause if he's willing to drop his wage demands a little bit. So that one, I think, could be a good addition. They've been linked with Jesse Lingard. I don't really like that one because I don't really think they need a Jesse Lingard. You know, I, I think if you get Danjuma and you've got him on the left and Bowen on the right, and then whether it's Antonio or Broya or someone else up front, I think the type of 10 you need is more that Fornals, Ben Rama, creative type who can th- keep things ticking, get the ball progressed into that final third and leave the, the runners and the goals to those wide areas. Jesse Lingard doesn't offer creativity. He just He's just a runner who gets the odd goal. Yeah, I mean, I'd be quite interested to see how Aguirre gets on because I like him as a defender, but We've seen quite a few decent money, quite good 
name players coming into West Ham and not really mm. make themselves starters. Uh, and, you know, for a number 10, I think that they already have the one that they need to use and they're not really used them so far, to be perfectly honest. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you need to start using some of the players who have been there you know, from last summer who didn't really get too much of a look in. So you don't want to be going into another season with Dawson playing centre-back regularly, but I wouldn't be outrageously surprised if it's the case, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Bowen, uh, Bowen, sorry, Ariola, like you say, I think was a really good keeper. And I think this probably two years past the time when he should have been a starting keeper somewhere anyway. So hopefully it does finally happen for him this year. Um, one of the ones they've released, actually, Yamalenko, I think he'd be the type of player like Southampton I could see signing like, for free, plays in either one of the wider roles or as your uh, second forward as well. I, I would say that that would be the worst kind of addition for them to make. But mm-hmm. he is the type that West Ham need to replace now as well. Like you say, someone who can play either wide or through the middle, or you just have an out-and-out out new number nine, and then Antonio goes back to being the one who can play wide or through the middle, because let's not forget that's what he was to begin with. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, big loss for them in terms of young players. Sonny Perkins, young attacking midfielder who they had enormous hopes for. He has left the club after turning down a contract extension, 18 years of age. Rumours that he could be going to Spurs. He's been linked with a couple of other clubs. He's also been linked with Palace, and it wouldn't surprise me if Palace were very keen to get him in to add to that core of young players that they've West been adding. Ham, West Ham were very unhappy about this. Yeah, like, yeah, really unhappy. Very, very uh, unusually strong statement for for an 18-year-old, a teenager, leaving the club. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit unprofessional from West Ham, to be totally honest. Well, I mean, that's nothing new, is it? Let's be perfectly honest. But no. I think that, you know, it's 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 making it clear to the fans, isn't it? Because he was highly regarded by them, not just the club. They were excited to see someone like him. And with, um, what's the name, Ngakia as well, haven't done the same thing last mm. year. I think they were probably keen to not be put in the position where, oh, you're not providing the pathway for these young players to come through. They're making it very, very clear that they think it was untoward and that his head was uh, kind of put where it needs to be by by his representatives and everything. Um, before we move on, do you know what Kurt Zuma's middle name is? Oh, I did know this. Go on. Happy. Happy, that's right. Kurt Happy. Yes. Kurt Happy Zuma. That was his nickname at Chelsea. That is brilliant. It was his nickname um, at Chelsea. <laughs> right, last one then is Wolves. They haven't signed anybody, but they did lose Romain Sice on a free. They sold Ruben Vanagra, who I would have kept as a backup left back behind Ait Nuri. Uh, they lost John Ruddy on a free. They lost uh, Marcal on a free. But they have signed a new one-year deal with Joe Moutinho. And I do think keeping him is massive. It also looks like they'll get to keep Ruben Neves because they priced him out of a move. Um, they've missed out on Paulinho. They've got work to do. But I, I think Moutinho staying, Carl, is massive for them for at least one more year. Yeah, as long as he's not going to be the every week starter again. Um, yeah. To be honest, they've got quite a bit of work to do there because Sai's played a hell of a lot of games. Keanu Hoover is left on loan as well. Mm. Um, he's gone to PSV. I, I actually had a, a mini heart attack because I was reading down the um, Wolves released uh, names and I thought I read Connor Cody, but it's actually a young kid called Con- Connor Carty. Connor Carty. <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder what had gone on for a brief second, but uh, no, no, no such scares there for them. But yeah, Hoover, obviously not a, not a starter, but filled a position on the bench was a you know backup wing back for them so when you consider Marcal played left and left centre for them 
he played right side for them. Saiz played centre back a lot for them. It's quite a lot of work there to be done. Yeah, yeah. My assumption is that Nelson Semedo and Nuri are the starters, and Johnny Johnny Otto is just seen as the one who can be the third fullback who plays both sides. Um, but like I said, I, I would if you if you were letting Hoiver go on loan. I would have just kept Johnny as the back, a bright back, and I would have kept Ruben Vinagra because I, I think, I mean, you know, you got nine million for him, which is a decent fee, but he's a really good left back. And if you had him and Aiden Uri, I'm not sure many clubs would have a better left back situation than that. I like Vinagra, but also if you're relying on Johnny, who's had two ACLs, to be your backup mm. for both sides and wing back with the demands on that role, and you have nobody else, that that's a ridiculous mistake. To be perfectly blunt, agreed, agreed. They they. They don't really seem to be putting Bruno Lage in the best position to succeed, which I think is a mistake because I think he's a really good manager. And Maybe this is the year he's trying to go to a four and this is a, a little bit of restructuring. They just haven't... It's possible, but I mean, are you trusting Connor Cody in a back four? Because any previous iteration of Wolves with Connor Cody in a back four was an absolute mess. Um, he's gone back to his old position of DM. Oh, that's not a bad shout. Him and- Maybe I'm making all this up on the spot. Him and Neves would be a bit slow, but it could work. I, I Look, for me, this is just a season to move on from Connor Cody, make, make him a squad player. Um, you've gotten what you can get out of him. He he has been a liability the last two seasons. So I don't know. It, it remains to be seen what else they do. But like you said, they've got a lot that they need to do. And for them to lose out on Paulinha, I think is a big blow. I think he was one they were really keen to get. Um, right, that is it. We will leave it at that. Anything you've got coming this week you want to plug? No, no, we'll do lots more um, summer content though for well everything, transfers, tactics and everything else. We've done a few of the uh, Discord questions already as well and I think we've got another one to do specifically on the Discord uh, questions, an entire podcast of it. So if people want things answered or spoken about over the summer, get to us on there or on Twitter. Exactly, exactly. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. I'm at EPL Index, and um, yeah, that's us for today. See you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.